Yeah, if you came to see Dr. Green this morning, came out in snow and ice, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, if I'm Chris, then I've had a bad month. Uh, aged about two decades and lost all my hair. <laughs> so, um, well, how's Lent going for you? Well, okay, some good things. Uh, if, if you were greeting somebody this morning and they were just a little bit sour, then just give them a little extra grace this morning because they just didn't get their coffee. Uh, if somebody just seemed overly happy this morning, then it's because they're taking Sundays off and they got their coffee this morning. And so... Uh, Jonathan Martin was with us last week. If you were here, it was a great message on the importance of Lent and that Lent is really preparing ourselves for resurrection, for new life and new beginnings. We're pushing away some things and saying no to some things uh, to allow room for some, some new stuff to grow. But the question that I want to ask us this morning is, how honest are we being with ourselves? Are we, are we actually honest enough with ourselves to allow room for any new life to happen? Are we willing to open up some of the doors and some of the places that we've kind of kept God out of? Are we honest with ourselves enough to think that we even have some of those places? Or do we think we're, you know, we're doing pretty well? Better than most, right? Doing doing pretty well in life. There's a, a principle that looks at the correlation between how much I'm aware of myself and how much I allow others to see me. It's called the Jahari window. And it correlates, again, known to self and known to others. And, and it looks at these four parts of our life. Uh, the bottom left one is the secret self. This is the part of me that I know, but there is no way I'm going to let you know it because I'm not sure how you would respond. I'm not sure if you would accept me still, if you really knew me inside and out. There's another part of me that is the blind spot. This is a pretty scary, scary part of our life where you actually see stuff that I have, but I don't see it. Uh, I'm clueless, but it's obvious to other people. And then there's a, another area, which is just the unknown self. It's the part that I'm not aware of, nor are you aware of. It really is the part that... Only God knows. And then the top left is what we consider the healthy self, which is this is the part of me that I'm aware of and I live openly to others and allow them to see in. And what I'm suggesting this morning is if the, the uh, right corner, the blind spot and the secret self and the unknown self, if those are rigid in our life and we don't open those up at all to God, if we've got... If we've got the doors closed on those and the, and the keys locked, then I'm suggesting that there's no way any new life or transformation is going to happen in us during Lent. We can say no to certain things in our life, but, but if we don't open up these spaces, it's not going to happen. There was a study that was done about how we receive new information. Information that we hear, whether we read it or hear it or however it comes to us, that we filter it through three different um, filters. The first one is if the information fits our values and our beliefs, then we let it in because, oh, I agree with that. Somebody gives you a book to read or tells you to listen to a certain podcast or whatever, and, and you listen to it and go, man, I like this guy, and I'm going to tell other people about it because it, it, fits, it fits your values and, and your beliefs. 
Another filter is we listen to it and immediately it's, it doesn't resonate with, with how we naturally believe and think and it's challenging some things. And so we immediately say, I don't, I don't agree with that. That's wrong. And we totally put it aside and we don't allow any of that to, to challenge us in any way. And then there's a third way that suggests that we listen to it and it starts to challenge us in certain ways, but we kind of massage the information. We kind of change it a little, little bit. And we end up with, well, what he's really saying is this. We change it so that it does then, again, fit our values or our beliefs. And once again, nothing really challenges us and no change happens. And so in all three of these, there's not going to be any, uh, anything that really um, challenges us to grow or to change or to transform in our life. Matter of fact, this, this last one I saw very clearly. I was working with an individual for many years, a very strong leader in the, in the church culture, had a pretty big footprint spiritually um, in the United States, had a television ministry, and first 45 years of his life or so, he was... Uh, a strong proponent of, of kind of new life in Christ and just one of the most solid people, um, kind of foundational on the scripture that I had run across. And yet he began to believe and listen to some new information. He began to um, start thinking about universalism and something began to chat, happen in his orientation, his spiritual life, where he began to just basically open himself up to everything and said, you know, all dogs go to heaven. Um, there's no, no heaven, no hell. You're going to go to heaven no matter, no matter what, whether you want to or not. There's no Satan. There's no... Uh, matter of fact, the Bible is pretty much just a philosophy book, like all other philosophy books. And it was a pretty dramatic thing that was taking place in Christianity at the time um, in what was going on in his ministry. And I remember a, a time where there were some other spiritual leaders that had kind of flown in and they were just going to talk to him and, and ask him what, okay, now tell us about what you're thinking here. And, and I remember one particular day where they, that conversation went on for a couple of hours. And I remember he came out and, and I said, well, how did, how did that go? And he said, well, they, they agree with me. They just, they just can't tell anybody. They can't, they can't say it publicly. Uh, because it's just controversial. And I thought, really? Um, about an hour later, uh, those individuals had, had uh, you know, gone back to the airport and somebody from their home office, they had kind of talked with them and had given me a call and said, Brent, it's worse than we ever could have imagined. Um, his thinking has gone so far in a, in a total different direction. But he, he couldn't hear what those guys were saying to him. He would, he would massage it and flip it upside down and filter it so that it fit his new perceptions and his new thinking. And so where are we at today with that? How, how open are we to the Holy Spirit in our life to come into some of those rooms and, and are we really listening and paying attention? I, I've been working on a kind of studying a a new personality profile that's going along with some new emphasis that we're considering um, working on, kind of doing scratch and sniff tests this year and begin to look at the idea of spiritual direction in our life. 
Janice and I spend most of our time doing repair work. When people get in crisis or difficulties or troubles, uh, we spend time helping them kind of assess kind of new thinking and new actions and new life. And we've seen a lot of wonderful things happen. We'll spend the rest of our life doing that. But we thought, gosh, what if we could get ahead of the thing? What if we could get ahead of where each of us are dealing with uh, the way we're dealing with our life? Uh, Maybe the closest thing to it would be like premarital counseling that we get to do now is how do we help people prepare for uh, marriage and the realities of that? And what could they be doing ahead of time? We, We thought, what would happen in just our individual spiritual life if we could begin to look at what are those weaknesses that I'm more susceptible to based on my own personality structure? And, and what spiritual disciplines would help me build strength and health and wholeness in my life so that when I do hit a crisis, because we all are going to hit crisis, we're all going to hit difficulties, that when I do hit those things, those places in my life that I'm they don't affect me as much. I'm already, I'm already prepared for those. And so, so we begin to look at that, and we're studying some of those things. And, and so I've kind of looked at this new um, particular personality profile. It talks about nine different personalities and, um, that has been used in the church uh, in many areas for kind of understanding those relationships. And so I've taken it myself, and, and I um, started underlining stuff that I really liked. Um, I came out almost 100%. Uh, what's called a mediator, uh, which kind of makes sense for what I do. I, I work in mediation. I help couples begin to rebuild their lives together. They're in conflict. I help families uh, reconnect their lives. Or I, I, I work with individuals that have disconnected from God, and they don't, they don't clearly understand him or don't trust him or have pulled away, and I try to help, help take their hand and God's hand and put it back together. And so I said, well, that that makes sense. And I started underlining stuff that were really, these things that were really positive qualities. And I thought, I want to tell others about this. This this kind of feels good. And so I started with that and it said things like mediators are accepting and trusting and stable. And they're usually creative and optimistic and supportive. And I really like this part. They are indomitable, impossible to defeat and all embracing. They're able to bring people together and heal conflicts. And it was like, sweet. I want to make sure Janice reads this. Um, So no wonder God's got me in the role that he has me, right? But then there were sections that I came across that I didn't like very well. Matter of fact, they were not flattering at all. And I began to interpret them as well because I'm a studied personality structure for 30 years, and I know that not every description of every personality is going to relate to every person. So I thought, well, I've just, I've just matured enough that I don't, you know, I don't display that characteristic or whatever. But you know how the Holy Spirit works, and he kind of began to kind of throw me back to, to these things. And, and I started reading things like their sense of personal opinion and objections in their own work and relationships often go unvoiced. Mediators tune out the problem rather than taking action hoping it will all just go away. Okay, I didn't like that one so well. Uh, I thought, I confront stuff, difficult stuff, every day. I don't hide from conflict or confronting things. And then I thought, because I work with that every day in lives, and I thought, okay, but there are times when it comes to me personally, there's times where I just like, I don't want to hassle with it. 
I just, I just want peace. I don't want to, I don't want I don't want any conflict to happen. And I just hope that it's all just going to work itself out. And I thought, okay, maybe there's something there. And then I started reading this whole section. As a matter of fact, it was bold top of the paragraph, laziness, slothfulness. And I thought, you I reject this. Um, because I have, I have totally prided myself in hard work and uh, being the last man at the office kind of stuff. And I said, this cannot be right. Yet I was, matter of fact, I, I turned off the iPad at that point and stopped, <laughs> stopped reading it for a while. But I was compelled to go back to it. And I went back to stuff like, where it said, it says, laziness for the mediator is not laziness of body in the sense of holding down a job or sleeping late in the morning. Mediators often hold down two jobs and pride themselves in having a lot of physical energy. Yes, they do a lot, but are blocked at times in the ability to perceive a correct course of action and to stay on track without becoming diverted by inessentials. Ouch. I began to, again, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of stirring something in me, and I I thought about, gosh... I've got a couple of projects that I've been working on that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what we're supposed to spend our life doing and we're supposed to be making these a priority in our life. But how many times has the deadline been pushed off another month, been pushed off another month, been pushed off another month, and I get caught up in just the tyranny of the urgent. And I was so convicted. And I found myself going, God, is this, is this me? And what I heard his voice, it was not audible, it was not written on the closet wall, but I heard him pretty much say, yep. And I'd never heard God say yep before. Um, but that was his response. And, and he went on to say, you know, if you'll open up to me in this area, I really have some things for us to chat about. I have some things that can really help you in this. It's not to harm you. It's not to hurt you. I'm not trying to expose you. I'm not trying to rub your nose in anything, but I want to help you. It's only for your own good. Psalm 139, 23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful, ineffective, unproductive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I wonder, do I really pray this prayer? Well, we repeated it a few minutes ago together, or do I, just, do I just repeat it when we do it together or come across it in Psalm 139? Do I really pray that prayer? And if I do, do I really listen? Do I really take time and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me, or I just, do I just think that's a nice prayer to pray and just run off? I think there's times where I don't. I think there's times where I don't want to hear I want to think I've got it pretty well together. One of the reasons, I think, is because, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a counselor. I'm supposed to have my act together here. I'm supposed to have things working on, clicking on all cylinder, cylinders. Um, actually, a, a statement by Henry Nouwen, a noted theologian, he, he actually penned this three, three weeks before his untimely death a couple of decades ago, has really helped me recently. It says, we who offer spiritual leadership often find ourselves not living what we are preaching or teaching. It's not easy to avoid hypocrisy completely because we find ourselves saying things larger 
than ourselves. I often call people to a life I'm not fully able to live myself. I'm learning that the best cure for hypocrisy is community. Hypocrisy is not so much the result of not living what I preach, but much more of not confessing my inability to fully live up to my own words. So I'm confessing this morning. Um, I've got some issues. Um, And just the ones that I shared this morning are the ones I'm comfortable sharing with you. (laughs) Those weren't the only ones. I'm just not ready for that yet. Um, And so in the next few minutes, I want to talk about the importance of confession and repentance in our life. Why it might be one of the most important things for us to do during Lent. And how this is not just a a one-time thing. We oftentimes think of confession and repentance of the first time that we come to Christ. And, you know, I receive you as my Savior. I'm suggesting that this is a habit and a rhythm that may be one of the most important things that we can possibly do. Because if not, those boxes in us of, of where we've closed off, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to permeate those, then truly nothing is going to change. We're going to just stay comfortable uh, where we're at, thinking that we're doing pretty well, and um, there's so much more that might be able to happen. I believe our tendency as believers is we always slip back into self-sufficiency, which is where sin comes from in the beginning. Adam and Eve, the whole fall was about self-sufficiency. It was about if you eat the fruit of this tree, then you won't need God. You can be your own God. You can handle this yourself. And so they bit the apple, become self-sufficient, and then they hid from God. They realized they were naked but hid behind fig leaves. So repentance is about refusing to hide. It's about getting vulnerable and open about our life. It means to rethink, to change our mind, to relook at how we're approaching some things. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing, resurrection, new life, and new beginning may come from the Lord. It opens us up to to the things that he wants to do in our lives. Paul writes this. Now, you have to remember, Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. He was used in amazing ways um, in the early church. Romans 7 says, I do not understand. Again, this is the guy who wrote a third of the New Testament. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. So I find this law at work when I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The healthiest place we can possibly live is in this place 
of openness, in this place of transparency, in this place of inviting him into all of those doors, those locked doors that we've kind of set aside. He knows why we struggle with issues. He's not surprised. Yet somehow we hold them back from him. He, he sees the beginning and the end of all things. And he knows that right now we see about 100 feet. We don't know what's going on in the lobby. We don't know what's going on in the parking lot. We don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. And so he knows why we freak out and why we, we fight this. So if repentance is such a good rhythm, why is it that we fight it? What, what is it about us that, that hesitates to do this? I want to suggest a couple of things. First of all, I think the main thing is that we want control. We want to control our future, and I think that comes out through different ways that we try to control life. The first way is that we try to control our image. I think we all struggle with this sense of what I call an imposter syndrome, that we present a certain, a certain way, and we are fearful. If you actually saw deeper than that, then you might reject me. You would know that I'm an imposter. Um, what I've presented is pretty good, but if you knew my heart, if you knew my every thought, if you knew my attitudes, if you knew my selfishness, if you knew that rebellion in me, you would not think much of me. So we developed this great fig leaf dilemma. We hide behind fig leaves. Adam, Genesis 3, I heard you in the garden. I heard you coming into my heart and, and rattling some doors. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I've sat with many leaders, spiritual leaders over the years that have gotten themselves in a mess. And over and over again, I hear them share in those discussions. It's almost a universal statement that they will say is, who could I possibly have told? And I wouldn't have lost everything. That's the fear. Who could I have told? So I had to keep the fig leaves up. The problem is because they didn't tell early in the process, they pretty much lost everything. C.S. Lewis talks about these two levels that we have in life. The top level is this, the, the highest part of living is this idea of connecting with God and where we get our sense of value and significance and, and who I am as a person. Uh, I get that in my relationship with God, that I am an image bearer. I'm a little, I'm a little icon. I represent a nature of God and, and that that's the first level. And then the second level is I just get my emotional needs and my physical needs and all of those things met somehow. And what he suggests is if, if you get the first level right, then the second level stuff all basically comes, comes together. It, it has a tendency to work itself out. But if you focus on the second level stuff, if you focus on how do I get by my own control, how do I get my needs met, then not only will you lose first level, but you'll also lose second level. And so it's what is it that we're focused on? The second thing is I think we try to control people. Now we can easily think, well, I don't want to control people. I just think if they would do it my way, then life would be better. Right? Anybody agree to that? Matter of fact, Janice and I were in a store, one of these home furnishing stores, and we saw this sign, and it said, um, 
I'm not bossy. I just have better ideas. And the person with us said, the problem is I really think that. Um, We can easily operate that way. So we desperately want people to act a certain way, to treat us a certain way, for us to, to be happy and for our needs to get met. And there's all kinds of things that we'll use for that. Um, sometimes we praise them to get what we need from them. We might use anger or manipulation or guilt or fear. Sometimes we use the scripture con- to control others. So we have parents trying to control kids and kids trying to control their parents. And we've got husbands trying to control wives and wives trying to control husbands. And it happens on this family level. And then we see it on a more global level. We have countries trying to control other countries. And and it's something that's deep at work in all of us. But God has never, ever had in his heart and his plan for us to control somebody else to somehow get our needs met. Our ultimate fulfillment only comes in him. It only comes in who we are in him. And then the third area, I think, is that we try to control our pain. We don't like pain. We're afraid of it. Um, we'll do anything to avoid it. We'll use food and work and Christian service and sex and all kinds of things to medicate our pain. Anything that we can do to keep busy or distracted so that I can deny it. We may use drugs or alcohol to cover it up. We may use criticism or judgment to deflect our pain. If I can focus on judging you and criticizing you, then I don't have to think about me. I don't think I have to think about the log in my own eye. But unfortunately, God uses pain for, for good, and yet we avoid it and we try to deny it. Um, he actually uses it to show that something's wrong in our life. He, he, he uses it so that we'll pull back and we'll be protected. Most of us are pretty respectful of stovetops, the top of a stove, because we've gotten too close to it before. Uh, we've gotten too close to a pan, or we, we have one of those black glass ones that you can't totally tell whether it's on or not all the time. I respect that thing. Um, God put pain receptors in our hand for our good, not to harm us, so that if we get closer, we pull back. If we didn't have those, we would have burnt our hands off by now. It's for our good. He doesn't cause pain, but he allows it. You ask any chiropractor, pain is the greatest motivator for change. People don't go to a chiropractor unless they're in pain usually. They don't go for just healthy kind of to stay ahead of the game. It's, it's how do I deal with this pain? We have emotional and relational pain. All of those are just supposed to be flares and signals that go off that say something's, something's wrong. Um, something's wrong back in, in, in a core of our heart and our thinking. But we do all kinds of things to hide it and to postpone it and to deny it and to cover it up. So with all these things that we do to try to control things, what do we do with it? Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Proverbs, he who conceals his sin does not prosper. Whoever confesses and renounces them 
finds mercy. Now, we don't tend to hesitate to tell people if we're fighting a cold. I caught, a, caught something a couple of days ago, and so uh, I've got an excuse if all this doesn't exactly make sense this morning because I'm on some pain medication uh, or some cold medication. And, uh, but we don't usually have a problem telling people about that. As a matter of fact, we'll talk about it and we'll talk about, you know, how do you, how do you treat it and how do you deal with it? And everybody's got their plan. Well, if you take this amount of vitamin C when it first starts coming on, then it'll help eradicate it. And wow, I found this new hand sanitizer, this herbal hand sanitizer that'll, you know, it's kept me, kept me well. Well, we'll talk about that a lot because colds are common. And what I'm suggesting is we have to realize that sin is common. And we have to begin to embrace it as such, that all of us fall short. We all have doors and closets that that we're hiding. The whole point of fighting sin, of trying to ward it off, to try to, to deal with it in our life, is because it kills and steals and destroys. It's not that God is wanting to expose us or rub our noses in it. It's because he wants to heal us and make us whole. He has a path that is the healthiest path for our life. And we have all these exits that, that uh, the enemy tries to get us to veer off on. And he wants absolutely the best. Matthew 5, one of the first Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One theologian unpacks this a little and says, Blessed is the man who has realized his own utter helplessness and has put his whole trust in God. There he will find joy and peace today. So I'm going to ask you as we close to just take a minute. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes if you would. We won't be long. And I encourage you to put the palms of your hand upward. Just lay them on your legs there. Just kind of center yourself and quiet yourself for a moment. And I just want you to envision that the Lord is standing in front of you. And the first thing is, you don't have to fear me. You don't have to worry about what I think about you. My love is locked. I love you beyond anything you could imagine. My love for you doesn't change. As a matter of fact, all of those doors and closets that you have in your heart, I know what's behind all of them. I get it. I understand it. And you don't have to hide it from me. But I won't open them myself. You have to open them. You have to allow me into those places. I only want good for you. I want the highest of life, the healthiest and the wholest place to live for you. And I care. However you would do this, however you would say this, I just encourage you to, under your breath, just just pray that David's prayer. Lord, search my heart. If there's something in me that is harmful, hurtful, hurtful to myself, hurtful to others, that's not best, that's hindering me in some way, that's limiting. Search my heart, God. Maybe it's one of those areas that I don't see. 
Maybe others have seen it, but I've not gotten close enough to them to allow them to speak to me. Maybe it's an area that I'm just clueless in, Lord. Touch that place. Maybe you've whispered this in the past, but I just, I couldn't accept it. Lord, I just open these doors to you. Just one by one, door by door, unlock it, unlock it, turn the handle. I open it up to you, God. The next thing I would encourage you to say, however you would say this in your own thinking, Lord, come into that room with me. Come into this place. Come and stand with me. Be with me. Help me to not fear you. I've been afraid that if I open this door that you'd get mad at me or that you're pretty much already mad at me and that you'd send me to my room without supper, that I just... You might even turn your back on me. But Lord, I'm, I'm going to hold on to you. I welcome you here. Thank you that there's no condemnation in you. Help me to believe that. And then the final thing is, Lord, what, do I, what should I do with this? What is it you want to happen here? Help me to know the next step. Just get that picture in your heart of him standing with you and he's in the room. He's at peace. He has the next step. As he takes a step, you're just to take a step behind him and follow him. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.